Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot. On the Human Reboot podcast today, I have with me Job Neal. Job helps coaches, consultants and course creators to build their marketing systems to get more clients and to sell more courses. He has always had an entrepreneurial flair and has worked creating many e-commerce stores and then more recently created his own marketing agency and consultancy business. Welcome, Job. Thanks for having me, Emma. Pleasure to be here. You are very welcome. So please, could you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So yeah, the start of this year, I sort of moved away from the e-commerce stuff that I was doing for myself and wanted to launch something that was actually helping other people. So started off with the marketing agency and what I found was a lot of people were coming to the agency to sort of be the answer, you know, start doing all these things for me and fix my business. And that's just not really the, the case. So I started the consulting business to help more people that were at that stage and needed help, but weren't really at the stage to start having someone else come in and try and fix everything with, ads and funnels and all those things so yeah that's where that's where we're at at the moment and you're on the human reboot podcast today because you have your own reboot story yes yeah yeah absolutely so when I first got out of school there was a lot of pull towards gambling for me and probably started off from being an all-boy Catholic school it seems to be the trend that I see everywhere that's sort of the thing always has been my dad had the same sort of thing it's just how I suppose boys connect when they grow up together. As soon as you turn 18 or if you can get a fake account, you download one of the betting apps and that's what everyone's looking at, you know, at lunchtime and throughout school. And I was never really drawn to, you know, horses or any of those sort of like gambling things, you know, whether it was sports or... But when we got out of school and I turned 18, I was fairly attracted to poker. So as soon as I was able to, I started getting onto um, online poker and for me that was yeah that, that that was that was a dark time for me that was probably the the point before the reboot you might say when you say that you kind of got to kind of a dark point how did you get to that point i think how and how it starts off for i think most addicts with anything is that you start finding that you're hiding a lot of things from other people i, ne- I never really shared with anyone that i was playing poker online I kept it pretty tight to my chest and what started to happen was that I was losing a lot of money, but it was behind closed doors. So no one was really aware of how much money I was losing at this time. So it was kind of like, for me, it was a dark time because it was a lot of like shame and guilt and depression that was related to this problem that I had, but it was everyone around me was unaware of it really. And there were some people that started to catch on a little bit and say that a few things were off, but nothing nothing to the full extent of what it was so how did you manage to pull yourself away from it or out of it and and reboot as we say on the human reboot yeah so my 
journey out of it really was and was into business. So I was into the e-commerce stores that we that we talked about earlier. And I think a lot of that for me was I was very stubborn for a very long time that I wanted to I wanted to make it work. I wasn't gambling for the sake of gambling. I really looked at it as a identity. Like I wanted to be one of those, you know, pro poker players. So there was an element of like passion and, and addiction to the game, but also like this person that I wanted to be. So for a while, I attached all of my success into this, into how could I make this work? And it became my version of success. So the only way out of that was really channeling, you know, that identity of success into something else. And, and for me, that was other businesses and, and trying to be successful with e-commerce. And that went, that went relatively well for a while. I think that's, that's probably the important part that I share with people. Is it's much harder to just stop cold turkey, but it's also not a good result. It's not good to try and just wean off it either because if that temptation is still there. So I think you kind of need to channel that energy into something else that has a similar feel to it, has a similar like gives you that same feeling, gives you that same, for me, that sense of purpose. And when you got to that point where you thought, right, something needs to change, what was that? Um, there, there were a lot of red flags for a while. Like there was, I think as soon as you start seeing a lot, a lot of the money coming out, there's that thing of like, well, you know, do I stop? And I did that multiple times where I tried to stop and it would just be a couple of days later where I would just pick it up again and put more money in, you know, just because it was, you know, and whether or not it was, and it might've only been $25 or something like that at the time. And I would try and just work at building that up. But for me, there was never really something that like fully made me go, you have to stop right now. That really, that happened set in stone, I suppose is the best way to say like, a lot of times I, I would say it, but I would change every like two days. You know, it, it, I would always fall back into it. So anything that happened, whether it was losing money, whether it was noticing that my mood was drastically affected by how this was going, whether it was hiding it from parents and friends and stuff like that, and people noticing that I wasn't myself. You know, those things all came to play, but I think really the only thing that really helped me sort of get out of it was not so much the negative of I have to stop because all these bad things are happening, but I have to stop because I have this other thing that needs attention. Yeah. The money that I would be putting into this. So yeah, that, that's probably the best way I can put it. It wasn't so much the red flags that came up. It was the option of an alternative. Yeah. So it's almost like I know that something needs to change because I don't like the way I'm feeling. So I need to find an alternative. And then when you've got that alternative, that takes more focus and energy. So therefore that detracts you away from what was maybe making you feel the way that you were. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of sort of just trying to, yeah, cut something cold turkey, if you can replace it with something productive, I think that that makes it sort of makes more logical sense as well. Like how much harder is it to to just give something up if you aren't putting something in that place? How long ago is that kind of since that happened? Since the last time that I would have put money online, that would have been, I think like two years ago now, or maybe even three years ago. It's hard now with, with COVID and everything and sort of lost for time, but I believe it would have been two to three years ago. 
ever had any temptation to go back there? Yeah, at times, but not as much pull as it used to have when I would try to just stop. I think the times that I've thought about going back are definitely times when I've been in a bad place or things have been hard. But I think it was easier to spot when there was a lot of time in between having not done it. For me, stopping wasn't hard because I just went, I focused everything into you know, business and trying to make that successful. And then I think maybe a year or a year and a half later, there were some temptations to go back when a few of our stores sort of started dipping and when we had to look at doing some other things. So really, it, it was fairly easy though at the time to look at it and go, okay, I, I know that this is a temptation because of this. Like this isn't going well. So there's like that want to make myself feel better go to this place where, oh, it, yeah, it'll make me feel better. But it's like a short-term hit, isn't it? Because it's like, I suppose that there's also, it'll make me feel better, but there's also those feelings of guilt and everything else that you felt associated with it and those lows as well. So I suppose it's trying to remember those lows as well as the highs, isn't it? To try and kind of associate those memories to you know that that it's not a place that you want to go back to and the place that you want to be in is where your version of success is completely different to what it was before I think that's really interesting isn't it though from a like a male perspective to you know it's almost like it's that idol isn't it it's that sort of you know idolizing that whole path to it and what it brings with it and the status and potential power that it brings with it. So it's, I think it's really interesting the kind of the way that you've explained it. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people really focus a lot on the chemical side of addictions and stuff like that. And I think that it's probably even more important to look at the identity side. Like, how do you see yourself with that thing that's holding you back? Like, I think there's a lot more attachment from that side of things than there is like that. that like, of course. It, it makes me feel good so I go to do it but like the thing that had the biggest impact for eliciting change was being able to shift the type of person that I wanted to be I talked about this with someone the other day where it was like I think if you if you looked at any type of addiction for a lot of my other friends who were terrible more so with the betting apps that was almost part of their identities as well like if they rock up to party or a friend's house or they're at like or we're at a sporting game or something like that their stories revolved around different types of bets the conversations that people would have with them were related to what they would be betting on you know whether they had any tips what they were betting on and stuff like that so i think it's like it seems like a part of them yeah. you know, and there's like a you know i want to be that guy because this is how other people see me if i don't have that maybe i'm boring and I think that that same thing pops up for some people that might more so be with like alcohol or drugs is how they show up to the party. You know, that's when they feel like they're, they're funnest. So it's like, you know, if they think that that not having that is going to make them boring or make them a person that they don't want to be or that people don't want to be around, then why would they try to lose that, that side of themselves? That's interesting as well, because that's almost like that social connection, isn't it? I mean, I've seen that massively, you know, in workplaces and things like that, where, you know, I've managed teams of, you know, different, I'm going to say boys, blokes. (laughs) 
It is like boys and toys though, isn't it? So, you know, in things like the soccer leagues and those sorts of things, over here it's, you know, if you were in the pub, it'd be like, oh, you're coming on the slotty. But it is, it's that almost the thrill. But I think in terms of some of the kind of leagues and things that people can be in and things like that, and actually the team and social element of it and the power of people coming together sometimes it's like oh we'll all just put a bit of money in it and that might be just like oh well that's just a bit of fun for me because I'm Mm. not really I'm just doing it because everybody else is doing it but for some people that's only part of what they would be betting because they take it more seriously that social dynamic is really interesting because often I have conversations with people where we talk about women when women talk about their feelings you know they'll meet with a friend they'll have a coffee and they'll talk rubbish. It doesn't have to have a purpose. It's like, let's just meet for a chat. We've not seen each other for ages, and then let's just catch up. And that's just what it like, you know, and that could be over a coffee, glass of wine, going for a walk, whatever that might be. But the purpose of that conversation is just to catch up and to talk. And in a lot of the training that I do, and a lot of the men that I've spoken to, they don't see it in that way. And on one of the courses that I did, We were talking about this whole kind of talking about your feelings. And one of the guys in the room said, he said, I just find it so interesting because women talk face to face and men talk side by side. So that prompted even more discussion. And it's something that I discuss with so many people now because I think it's so true. So when we talk about men talking side by side, it's they meet because there's a match on. They're going to watch the rugby. They're going to play golf. They're doing something. There's a purpose generally to that meeting. Let's go to the pub because you know and we'll have a beer or we'll, the foot is on or we'll go and watch a rugby match can you see the difference in in the mm. two yeah absolutely absolutely definitely i've definitely noticed that for sure i mean even before covid how often did you ever have like guys that would go for walks together and now and over here that's been like regular like it's just not as odd for for that to happen and we thought like when would we have ever done this if this wasn't like one of the only options that we had to catch up but that's fairly regular for women Uh, that that's where it's kind of like a lot of girls sort of laughed at it that i knew that like it's just funny seeing guys going for walks now because that's never something that they've done before and you know and a lot of these like walk and talk meetings that's happening within businesses as well whether that be the working remotely or not because you can still do zoom and walk at the same time so you can still be connected to people on the phone or or via zoom so there's great you know walk and talk things going on within businesses as well and i think it is important for us to be able to connect with our emotions and and to be able to talk and i think what you were saying before about that social element of gambling that's really I'd not thought about it in that way before, but I think that fits in the same way as this side-by-side talking does. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just on what you said then as well, I think there's like with that connecting with feelings and stuff, there's a thing at the moment, particularly with that I notice with guys. So you've got your mindset, your body set and your skill set. And most guys really focus on more so the mindset and the skill set side of things. And we, we do tend to ignore the the other side of the the feeling side of things 
which is kind of more important in a way because how can you actually influence your thoughts without addressing how you feel about those thoughts, you know, on, on a real sustainable long-term type of way. Yeah. And that, and that, and that is something that I've noticed a lot of men do ignore. And I think that, I think the women are a lot better at the body set side of things. With your gambling, did you seek out any help at that point or was it just like almost a, a shift in mindset that you did yourself? Yeah, I, I was determined to do it myself. I, I had people asking me if I wanted help and stuff like that. And I think for me, it was like, if I accept help, then I'm admitting that something's wrong. Not so, And that wasn't even like so much of a conscious thought as it was unconscious because, you know, if that conversation came up, then it pretty much got shut down very quickly. I didn't really want to start adding logic into the equation and trying to think about things objectively. To me, it was like, how do I justify this thing that I want to do? So yeah, for me, I had to do it by myself because I just wasn't willing to accept help. You know, whether it was making it work or whether it was how I get out, either way, I felt like I had to address that by myself. You know, that's this, see, this is interesting, isn't it? Because often when we have a real clear vision of what we think that we want ourselves to be, admitting that kind of maybe weakness, it is really challenging. I found it really difficult to reach out for help when I needed it. And it was kind of more that I went more insular and went went into learning about things. In hindsight, I do think that there are points when I look back that I could have reached out to maybe groups or to a coach or mentor earlier. You know, I I believe massively in having that support network around you when you're an entrepreneur in business. But, and when you're a leader of, you know, within corporate, I don't think my path would have been the same path had I have had an external coach. Looking back on it, do you think that there were points when perhaps you should have accepted help or could have accepted help that might have accelerated, you know, your recovery, let's say? Potentially. I think it was, like I said, it was hard because I did sort of, I shut down a lot of those conversations whenever they came up. Like in, in my mind, a lot of them never really happened in a way. Like it's hard to think back to because I really did, I shut them out so much. I think the one thing I can say, if you know anyone that was actually going through something like this or is going through a hard time, is is letting them speak without any judgment. Because I think I would have opened up more so to people and let people in to, to help if I had have been able to talk about it. It was so shut off. I really didn't let anyone understand the extent of how bad it was at all. So in that way, like the, the only real options I had for people that could have, that were trying to help were when they started asking questions and the questions that they asked. And it wasn't their fault because, you know, how can you not sort of, you're worried and you're frustrated when someone isn't opening up to you. So I don't, I don't blame anyone for being like this, but the questions that were asked almost implied that there was something wrong with me. So it did make it really hard to start talking about and start opening up to actually get to that point of being more problem aware. 
And then we could actually start, once I'd aired it out to them, then we could have started looking at some solution-aware type of things and then trying to actually craft a plan. But really, there weren't a lot of solutions that were coming up. It was more so um, the only real time I had something come up was when my parents started getting more caught on to it. And again, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a shot at them because how you, no one, unless you have been through it or really know how to deal with it, it's hard to know. But their way of dealing with it was sort of punishment in a way like you know finding ways to cut me off from you know certain things rather than you know how do we try and understand this and get him to talk about it and then really try and attack it from there yeah that's really interesting it's almost that judgment creates a barrier yeah it well it creates shame and then and shame you know, automatically shuts us off because no one wants to feel that way. So the, the only way to avoid that is to avoid the conversation. You know, why would you keep feeding someone opportunities to keep making you feel shameful? And I'm not saying to go out and encourage people, but all you really have to do is hold space. If there was any advice you could give anyone or any tips for anyone that perhaps is in that place now, what would you say? For someone that's going through it now, I think speaking about it, like try and find someone that will just hear you out and won't judge you because being able to speak about it out loud and to someone else will help more than you know, any other tip that I think I could give. You know, there, there's no sort of hack to it. I think it's literally just once it's out in the open, then, then there's space to start crafting a plan to help yourself. You know, and nothing, nothing can really, you can't craft the plan. You know, if you're trying to craft the plan by yourself and always have to deal with it, then it's, it's coming from a biased mind. And in that way, something bad has to happen. So you kind of have to allow other people in to be able to start getting to that place and, and try and channel, try and channel it into something else. If you're starting to get to the end of it, then you have to replace that shame with some with ownership. And this is pretty much a clear example. Like my ability to talk about it now publicly without any shame sort of takes it take, takes the power out of that whole thing. You know, and that that has to be the next step. I think is owning that it happened, and you almost in that way have to look at all the positives that came from the consequences of that negative situation. Yeah, that it doesn't define you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in a way, like, you know, how can it define you in a good way, though, as well? Like, like we can we can try and avoid all these things. And it's hard because I suppose you want to define yourself by good events and not define yourself by bad ones. But we're sort of, we're defined by everything in a way. You just have to, like, find the good frame for that. And you might not be able to see it right now, because it's kind of like, you know, putting your hand to your face and all you can see is a few of the lines and stuff like that. And it's not really until you take your hand away that you can see your whole arm. So I, I think it's just looking at it with perspective. Just one question on this before we start to move on to more about you and what you're doing now. A lot of people think that, you know, like gambling, alcohol, drugs are often used as a coping mechanism. Would you kind of agree with that or disagree with it i, I would agree but i i think that for me it was, it was something that i like to do to make myself feel better 
but I was also part of something larger as well. I think with that whole identity thing, I think that it becomes more than just something that you're using to cope with. It's kind of more so falling into a place of comfortability, I suppose. So I don't think that it's, it is it and it, and it isn't completely. Yeah, it's more about redefining who you are, who you want to be and creating the vision of the life that you want to live and that's so interesting because when we look at even healthy boundaries in business it's almost like we all often have to take moments where we redefine the vision of the life that we want to live and actually who do we how who do we want to be in that vision yeah yeah absolutely and and that's probably even a big part as well it's it's just as much who you look up to and who like as much as it is who you want to be in that time as well like you know a lot of the you know if you look at more of the party style of things you know for me it was looking up to these like people on all these poker pros on youtube and stuff like that like it was i went through heaps and heaps of hours of videos of those guys playing you know and, and for someone that has a drinking problem or a drug problem or something like that there's probably someone in their environment that they look up to on that scale or have seen at some point you know in their life or you know see it as enjoying their life in a certain way maybe right then let's find out a bit more about you so on the human reboot we often have high performing people our listeners are people who are high achievers who want to stay high achieving and so we talk about the importance of not burning out so how do you switch off so that you can switch on and perform at your best yeah, so I've got a pool table in my um, garage at the start of this year, and that's been a that's been a big thing for me. That's sort of my like go out and just start playing pool. I can't even remember now who who wrote the book, but it was like praising idleness and basically it defined two different types of idleness. Like I, I could go out, I could go and sit on the couch and go on my phone or watch TV. It's very passive. So for me, like when I'm trying to actually recharge. It's going out and playing pool or going for a walk and that type of like active idleness. And I find that I come back a lot more refreshed from activities like that rather than anything that completely switches me off. Yeah. So like a difference between, well, like the differences in the idleness like you've just talked about, the way that you switch off helps you to find your active idleness helps you to find energy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Part of it for me with, yeah, I get energy from working out and playing sport and stuff like that as well. But I think the big thing for me with, you know, I'm working at a computer all day and, and doing a lot of like doing a lot of conversations and a lot of task heavy jobs that really for me, it's like, how do I switch off my mind so I can come back and be fresh? So yeah, I find that playing pool, which sort of for me doesn't feel like a very, like mind taxing thing yeah yeah exactly and some of that as well I like to play chess as well because I could just play without having to think too much seems silly like some people like if I wanted to do really well I would focus a lot more but it's also something that I can just play without too much thought so I think it's you know for some people it might be you know doing Sudoku or a crossword or something like that as well, I think sort of falls into the same category. I have actually been playing some pool over the last few months, but not actual pool pool. 
<laughs> is on, on your phone or yeah there's a little app on your phone where you can choose different games to play and sometimes play it with the kids well i do like that one I, w- I wish i could see the like you know how it has like the lines where you can see where the balls are going to go after you hit them i sort of i wish i could do that in real life i'm not having a game with you though because i bet you're really good <laughs> I've i'm not for you good as good on the app one as I am in person <laughs> yeah no I'm not I'm definitely not a high performer in that app <laughs> playing. but it has been quite you know it's just looking at different things as well sometimes isn't it when you're with other people and you know when I've been trying to get like the kids off the phones and things like that you know we can do walking and things but sometimes it gets to the point where it's like right well how can I interact with them when that's stuck to their face so it's like, well, I'll play. I'm playing pool with mum. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, it was just a, a. I just thought it was quite funny. I'm going to ask you one question before we move on to the second to last question. Would you say that you're pretty competitive? Oh yeah, for sure. And that was that. That probably played into the whole thing as well. Definitely. You know, when we've just talked about things before, talked about things that you learn to move on. Are there some key learns that you've learned, would you say, that are now helping you with your journey in life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's there's so much that I learn about myself. Like I think it was a real reflection of just who I am at like a really core level. It was very raw, sort of the feelings that I had while I was playing and everything like that and sort of how I how I dealt with that at the time is definitely, okay, so that's that's the way that I can go if things go bad, if I'm not an open person and everything like that. So there, there was an understanding of myself. There's always like a lesson. There's always like something that comes out of a bad situation as well. And I think with poker, like there was so much I learned from the game itself that really applies to life. One of the biggest things is like decision-making in terms of like the long-term strategy and consistently making decisions like that rather than trying to make decisions that feel good instantly type of thing. It's been a lot easier to get on. Like I, I've had some people say that like sales calls are extremely difficult when you, when you first start out. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult at all because I'd, I'd already sort of been in that like high roller for want of a better phrase world playing with money in a way so like you know getting on a sales call wasn't confronting because I just looked at it as a game Mm, it's really interesting so if people have got fears around selling let's say or sales what tip could you give them around that do heaps of them (laughs) as much as you can so many different sales tactics and, and other things that that people will try and preach about and to extend a lot of them work but the biggest thing is just like your confidence on a call. How do you get behind what you're actually trying to sell? Particularly now when a lot of us are selling through Zoom. So I, I not only can hear your voice, but I can see you. It matters so much with how you actually show up to that call because I intuitively can look at you and see you don't believe in what you're, what you're trying to sell. So I think getting on a lot of calls gives you confidence and the other thing would have confidence in what you're actually trying to sell. If you're selling, if you're selling crap, then you're selling crap. <laughs> and 
something that someone once taught me was around practice you know practice makes perfect and you can't expect to do a new sales call and be good at it straight away you know we need to practice these things so the more you can do the better absolutely and just and just know that the first one isn't going to be how you would like it to be it doesn't mean that it'll go poorly because you can still show up and as long as you're, yeah, like I said, selling something that you believe in and being genuine on the call with how you think it could help someone, then that still shines through beyond any other sort of sales tactic or other stuff like that. And I think the one thing that I would say is like, if you're trying to look for all these different sales things that are going to help you do better in sales without really backing in what you're trying to sell and how it will help someone on the call first, then just stacking tactics on top of each other that are going to get exposed. Have you heard of the theory, count the no's, not the yeses? I, I have heard of that. I, and I, I don't mind it in like a theory sort of way. But I, I think if there's there's too much focus on, on trying to capture all of the no's, then you sort of... Um, <laughs> it's sort of a little bit counterintuitive eventually yeah it definitely defeats the object but i think it's a good way in terms of your mindset to get yourself going got to get some no's to get the yeses yeah absolutely i suppose in that way of like looking at it like that there was um one youtuber that's got millions and millions of followers I, i think the best advice that he was trying to give he was asked what's the best advice you have for like an aspiring youtuber and it was just do 100 get your get to your 100 hundredth video as quick as you can like understand that like your first hundred will be will be crap if you just get to that hundredth as quick as you can then you sort of it's going to get better from there there's nothing else that like anyone else could try and like tell you about how to do things you know in the beginning that you're just like automatically going to be good at you just have to it goes back into that whole practice thing i suppose it's the same way with you know capturing the nodes is there's more that you learn from just doing quantity that eventually it will become quality. Yeah, there's got to be some practice in there and some balance, hasn't there, between the two. So, which leads me beautifully on to if you could share your flourishing formula for living. So that could be a key learn, a mantra, something you live by, something that helps you uh, that might help our listeners' journeys. The one that I really like is if you're overthinking right, if you're underthinking read, and if you're just if you're just thinking, then do both. And I can't remember the last part, but I do. That is something. The first two is definitely something that I I do a lot of in terms of if if I'm having trouble with my ideas and I feel blocked, then I will go and read or I'll watch or listen to something that's kind of thought provoking. But if I feel overwhelmed by my thoughts or anything else and the best thing for that is writing it down oh and i absolutely agree with that because journaling is a massive part of what i do now my journal is not necessarily the most you know textbook journaling mine's whatever comes out of my head if that makes sense or whatever i feel i need or whatever i just go with my feelings and it could be that i feel quite passionate about a subject for example it could be that you know I want to write something because I've seen something and it's provoked a response in me and I feel really passionate about that response so I write that down and that might actually turn into a social media post you know so it could be that it does actually help my business interesting I do love a bit of journaling so if you're overthinking write if you're underthinking read I absolutely love that 
Thank you. That's amazing. Any books or recommendations of communities or anything that you feel that it will be well worth sharing with our listeners? One that I'm reading at the moment is The Unstoppable Beacon by um, one of my mentors, Anthony Amex. And it really talks into that mindset, skill set and body set. And it, I, I think that one's a really powerful one. For people. Brilliant. I will take a look. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, Job, how are they best to do that? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. I also have a Facebook group called Organic Marketing Systems for coaches, consultants and course creators that you'll be able to find me in as well. Thank you so much. And we'll pop those details in the show notes. I have loved this conversation. And thank you for being so open about, you know, your previous challenges. And I am so glad that you've overcome them thank you very much for having me on i hope this interview is able to help someone i really i really like what you're doing with this podcast as well thanks joe thank you for listening to the human reboot podcast i'm emma last and if you've enjoyed this episode please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit the human where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's the humanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.